Yeah, yeah, ay, yeah, ay. Drive it in the corner, Luca! Welcome back for another episode of the Mavs Fans for Life podcast. It is draft eve, which could mean some moves for the Mavs. They don't have any draft picks, but that doesn't mean there won't be any moves from the Mavs tomorrow. Uh, I'm your host, Nate Sanchez. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Michael Terrazas. And since we have the draft tomorrow night, uh, who better to join us on draft eve than none other than Mavs draft Richard Stamen himself. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Appreciate y'all having me. So yeah, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're bringing the best draft expert on Mavs Twitter right now. One of the best experts out there, credentialed reporter, all, all that great stuff. We're going to get into, uh, some of the draft stuff. Um, so I, I guess to start, to start Richard, um, Mavs don't have a pick tomorrow. Like I said, um, are you hearing anything or do you know what the Mavs might intend to do tomorrow in terms of maybe buying a pick or trading into the draft? Yeah. I mean, we don't really know because the Mavs still are tight lipped in general, but with a new front office, they've been a little bit more, or actually even when they didn't have a front office, they were a little bit more vocal and willing to have things slip out about who were who they were working out and who was coming in. So that was a really good sign. I, I think that kind of speaks volumes to what to expect tomorrow. I don't know how I, I personally, just as a prediction, I think they will buy in just, I don't, they could be the 59th pick for all we know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I could definitely see them buying in. Um, if they do, uh, yeah, I know when we were talking before we started recording, uh, you know, that there's been some guys, we don't have the full list, but there's been some guys that we know that they've worked out um, among those names that they've worked out. So I guess two, two had a question here of the names that they've worked out and maybe some other names that you like personally that you don't know if they've worked out or might be interested in uh, who, who are some names that you could see the Mavs being interested in and, or you would like the Mavs to be interested in. Yeah, the, the top of the list is someone – I can't remember if uh, they brought either of these guys in twice. I know they – I think they brought one of them in. I can't remember who it was, but I know they were pretty active with both. And, and now that I'm saying it, I think it was actually Moses Wright was who they brought in two times from Georgia Tech. He's a pretty raw center, which – or excuse me, senior, which kind of does play center. But you don't really hear that a lot, and then hope he gets picked. Like, I have him 44th on my board. But he didn't play competitive basketball or high school basketball until his senior year of high school – so this is only his fifth year playing competitive basketball. So he's brand new, has really good measurements. Um, I think he was like 6'9 with a 7'1 wingspan, something like that. Um, he is a freak athlete, just needs to get better at playing basketball and getting a consistent shot. But he's versatile on defense, can play three, four, or five. And then his teammate, Jose Alvarado, I believe they brought both in for two workouts, which is really telling. That dude is J.J. Barea 2.0, like in every single way. He's six foot guard ACC defensive player of the year, which is really rare for someone at his size. Like yeah. he's just a dog. Yeah. The Moses Wright is definitely a name that would, I mean, now, like you said, I mean, that that's impressive that he's that raw of a prospect at that age. It's just, it, you, you don't ever see that. And he was the ACC player of the year last year. Um, and I, I do think that's someone that I'd be intrigued by for the Mavs, just from a standpoint of the Mavs needing long athletic wings. Yeah. When it's our, I mean, oh, go sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. When it comes to the draft, I mean, it, it, it's always such hit or miss. It's not like the NFL or anything. There's only two rounds, and there's what, like fifty thousand pl- basketball players to choose from. <laughs> and I mean, and, and the guy that he just mentioned, right? You know, usually when you're a senior and you lasted that long in college, you 
there probably wasn't too much growth. But the biggest point that he just said is that he's extremely raw. He is very young in basketball years. His mind is still very fresh in basketball years. So if he can get to the right staff and, the, you know, this staff in Dallas is known to develop some guys, that is definitely a guy that you can look at to bring in into Dallas. Now, I honestly don't know who they could get. I mean, you would buy into the second round. I think maybe that's the equivalent of buying into the seventh round in the NFL draft. I mean, who are you going to get, honestly? Uh, but I'm, I'm interested to see what they do. But I, I really don't know. I mean, are they going to try and get a pick is, is the biggest thing. Are they going to try and shed salary or get a pick? Yeah, I don't think they're going to really try and shed salary. I'd be surprised if they try and make a win-now move of any sort in the draft. I think they're just going to try and add some youth to the team because the two-way spot, I doubt Nate Hinton comes back. They might want to just keep Tyler Bay on that. I don't really know. They might convert him. And I think they might just want to get a head start on getting a two-way guy, thinking they can develop him or whatnot. Yeah, and and with back, back to Moses Wright, so like he, he would fill that – no, not not the same player, but he kind of fits that billing that Tyler Bay had as just like a, a big long wing. Uh, that's you know, it, the Mavs need more depth uh, on the wings right now. Uh, if you look at the way the roster is built, and you know, honestly, after free agency and trades and everything, it'll probably look completely different now that I'm saying this. But in the in years past, you know, past Dorian Finney-Smith. What wings, not not guards, just wings that they have that you could really rely on. And that's what they were hoping Josh Green would be last year. And that unfortunately wasn't the case, be it you know, if you want to blame Rick, if you want to blame Josh Green, it's probably a little bit of everything. Um, but yeah, it, those types of guys are definitely intriguing to me now that you have a coaching staff that seems to be much more focused on the development of players. Uh, Sean Sweeney, uh, Jason Kidd has already said he's going to make an active effort to develop Josh Green. And I'm sure that goes for whatever young guy, whatever other young guys they bring in tomorrow night and in years going forward. Uh, besides Moses Wright, what, what are some other guys that intrigue you for the for the Mavs? Yeah. So, I mean, Alvarado is another. Um, if you want to stick with the undersized point guards who are monsters on defense, McKinley Wright from Colorado. Yes. Really fits that bill. He isn't much of a shooter, but does just about everything else. He has a post game. He plays so much bigger than six feet and he has long arms. I'd really like to see him get a shot. And then if you want to stay on the wings, I know like that is a very obvious, still an area of improvement for the Mavs. You can go AJ Lawson from South Carolina. He is a developing shooter. He's a junior freak athlete. One of the very top athletes in the class, really quick on defense. The problem is he has short arms and the shot is a little bit inconsistent, and his feel for the game is kind of weak. Yeah, and with with McKinley Wright, it's funny you say that like he plays a lot bigger than his size because uh, I've I've watched a ton of college basketball. Definitely not as much as you, but I'm definitely a college basketball dork, and I watched a lot of Colorado this year. And McKinley Wright, you know, I I never like hearing that he's six feet is a bit jarring to me because you know he seems bigger than that. He he kind of has that dog mentality and he can just do everything. He, he's a guy that would intrigue me uh, for the Mavs just because of his ability to do all, all these things. And what were your main go back to McKinley, right? What were your main pros and cons on McKinley, Wright For the Mavs and what range do you think he'll go in? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't see him going before pick 50. It's yeah. nice that he got the combine invite. I was actually pretty shocked by that, but his pretty much his best strengths are the fact that he's really quick. He's in, got incredible feel for the game. He's a pretty pesky, annoying defender that he, and he can play big. He doesn't care if he's being, if he's guarding someone six, six, whatever, he'll play him just as tight. Kind of sounds like JJ Barea with that. Uh, and he's a really good playmaker out of the pick and roll. The things I don't like is pretty much he can't shoot over defenses and he really just can't shoot in general. Um, and, you know, the Mavs probably don't need another undersized point guard yeah given their current construction i'd i'd tend to agree with that uh M michael uh moving on to the next part uh you, you had we were discussing beforehand uh different euro prospects and 
you know, m- most of us, bes- besides like the people that are knee deep in the weeds of the NBA draft, like yourself, um, aren't terribly familiar with all of the uh, European prospects. This past year, I found it was interesting. Uh, uh, Pokusevsky of the Thunder, uh, he really came along at the end of the year and he was just seemed kind of like a, a crazy upside Euro that not a lot of people are talking about. Who's your favorite uh, European player that has a pretty big upside that you think a team, not necessarily the Mavericks in general, this is just a general draft question, could take a shot on? Yeah, I mean, there's two names that jump out on this. There's the one he is draft Twitter's absolute favorite because um, his agency hasn't done him much many favors, so he's kind of his own agent to an extent. Um, that's Vrenz Weinberg. He's from Belgium. He's pretty much a 6'10 guard. He has a six, uh, seven one wingspan, can play the passing lanes really well. Not really sure what his offensive game looks like in the NBA. He is very unique. Uh, so that would be the Poku kind of guy. But the other European guy I'm really into is, um, and I still cannot say his name. I've heard it said a lot. I just am very bad at French pronunciations. But Johan Bejerin, I think is how you say it. He is actually training in Dallas. And he's an 18-year-old guard. I would call him like a power guard where he bullies his way to the rim and loves getting to the rim. But he needs to improve his jump shot. He's a pretty good passer, can make some advanced reads, and his defense is decent enough. So uh, me, me, and, me and Michael also uh, had been discussing, you know, top guys in the draft. Uh, who, who are some – now, I feel like top threes – this is again getting into more rest of the draft since you know the the Mavs don't have much ammo tomorrow. They don't have any ammo actually. Uh, as far as top of the draft is concerned, um, top three is pretty much set in stone. I feel like. Uh, how, how do you see the top of the draft shaking out? Yeah, I mean, I think it is going to kind of go chalk to an extent. I see it going. Cade number one, Jalen Green at number two. I think that's actually the biggest lock of the top four. Mobley at three, which I guess in trade makes him the second biggest lock, and then Suggs at four. And then five is just wide open. Yeah, with with, with five, I – now, I, I guess shot in the dark. Who do, who do you think go at five? Could, will it be Kuminga? Will it be – you know, who, who's your prediction? Who will go at five? I actually think it's going to be Scotty Barnes at this point. The I think the bigger toss-up is who's going to be taking him. So when it comes to what the Mavs need, I mean, what would you say is their biggest need coming into the draft? I feel like when you talk about it, not, not you in general, but when you have the conversation, it has to be someone that can shoot. This is becoming a shooter's league. Very few rosters have a guy that just plays defense and can't shoot. I mean, very few rosters these days. And I feel like, in my opinion, if if the guy can't shoot, you cross him off your board if you're Dallas. Yeah. I mean, you have to look at guys who are going to be able to play next to Luka Doncic off ball and can fit. And that starts first things first. It's a shooter. If you're wanting someone, there's a unique player who I think would actually be a nice fit in Dallas that you could probably get in the late second. That is that. And he's actually a big man. And I I do think Dallas's biggest need is probably actually addressing the big man rotation because they have the worst. I I think it was the worst big man rotation in the league. There were so many. I I don't know how they made the playoffs having that, but speaks volumes to Luca. And I, I think someone that would be really good in helping that big man rotation isn't really a traditional big. And that's Sandro Mamu Kilashvili from uh, Seton Hall. Yes. I love, I'm a big fan of his, big yeah. fan of his. He, everyone who has seen him play loves him. And, and you know, he's a six ten guard is the way I describe him. He played center for Seton Hall defensively, which was bad for him because he doesn't play defense really. And if you put him <laughs> next to theoretically Porzingis at his best, it really helps him. And God, having both of those guys on the perimeter would be incredible because he can run a pick and roll. He can spot up. He can hit from deep jump shot range or deep range. He can hit a pull up jump shot. Like he's one of the most fun players in the draft. I would love him if he's there at the 45, 50 range, take him. Yeah. He he's definitely one of the guys this year uh, in college basketball that I really love to watch play. And uh, Seton Hall kind of faltered at the end of the season and they're a really up and down team, but yeah, he was, he, he's a lot of fun to watch. 
Uh, that, I feel like a so so if you think about how he played, like yeah, he didn't play much defense, but yeah, it, it was almost like a, a Nikola Jokic like role where he just it was basically that offense ran entirely through him, almost as like a point center. Yep. Uh, he's, he was he was really fun, very fun prospect to watch at Seton Hall this year, and uh, yeah, that Seton Hall should have been much better this year with him. And it, now you said he would. Where do you think? So you you like him? Sounds like you like him in the forty five to fifty range. Where do you think he'll actually end up? I, I think actually in that range. I okay. have him top thirty. Okay, so so you're a lot higher on him than than he'll probably go. Yeah, he's he's definitely someone the Mavs should be interested in. Uh, I I hadn't considered him as a possibility yet for the Mavs just from a just from a not having a pick perspective. But yeah, but what? What, do, what would the Mavs have to give up to buy into the draft? Cuban's wallet. I, I think that you don't need to give up a future asset. Yeah. So you just buy, you literally just straight up buy a pick. Yeah. yeah. It's all out of Cuban's wallet. It has nothing to do with salary cap, nothing to do with any assets, anything. It's just Cuban sacrifices money. Okay. So see, I'm not going to attempt the name from Seton Hall because I don't want to embarrass the man like that. I'm just not going to do it. But <laughs> if if you went there... Where would you project he plays at center or power four? What do you think is the position that he will succeed the most if he came to Dallas? Yeah, it's power forward next to Porzingis. I mean, the spacing is elite. And then theoretically, which my stance on Porzingis is that while there were some physical disadvantages that Porzingis had that held him back, um, it was a lot of mental and lack of effort on defense. Like that definitely played a role. You can say, you know, like, sure, he didn't look slow when he or he didn't look fast all the time. But I mean, a lot of that was he didn't bother trying. And it was like if you have him doing that again, which I think a lot had to do with coaching personally, as much as I love Rick. But that's a whole nother thing. (laughs) I mean, it's ideal to have someone like him, a shot blocker who can make up for Sandra's lack of rim protection. Okay. now, if if there was, you know, let's just say they wanted to buy into the first round, namely the top 15. Okay. I want to ask a juicy question. If they were to somehow, some way, most likely won't happen. It's probably impossible, but get into the top 15. Who would you say they're targeting in that range? Yeah. I mean, I'd say it's almost literally impossible for the team without giving up Porzingis. And mm-hmm. if you're giving up Porzingis, you would swing for the fences. You're not just taking like Chris Duarte. Um, but I mean, at that point, you're probably going Corey. Kit- well, I say swing for the fences, and I say Corey Kispert, who's the best <laughs> in the class. But I mean, you could say, man, I, I, that's tough. Maybe Isaiah Jackson from Kentucky could be a guy. Um, Jalen Johnson, who I, I mean, the problem with those two is that they're projects, like they're big mm-hmm. risk. I, I just maybe Garuba. I, I personally think though Garuba could be had like in the 20s. But oh yeah, definitely. And, and having reuniting him with Luca, pick and roll monster who can play defense, like that is that is a dream. So, yeah. no Cade Cunningham to Dallas? <laughs> Apparently Close. not. Mavs might be able to. <laughs> now, that, that's a, that was my next question that I had for you, actually, um, regarding Cade Cunningham. Um, there's been a lot of comparisons of Cade Cunningham to our, our guy, Luca. Um, I'm, I don't know that he'll be as good as Luca, and I, I guess we'll have to go ahead and find out. But um, Kate Cunningham, clearly best player in the draft. Um, he's going to go number one. I mean, that's a foregone conclusion, and that's been a foregone conclusion for the better part of the last year. Uh, with, with Cade, how how much do you agree with these comparisons to Luca uh, as a you know similar player? I think they have a lot of similarities, um, but they aren't the same player. Like they have, they have a lot of the same strengths and weaknesses, but again, like, I don't know if Cade gets to the basket as effortlessly as Luca does effortlessly as Luca does. Um, And I think that's the big difference maker of the two. Yeah. Cade was, and I I feel like their demeanor is a little bit different. Uh, Luca's a lot more, I feel like he's a lot more fiery than Cunningham. Cade Cunningham just seemed like he just, you know, put, puts a brave face on and just goes to work. Uh, kind of, he, he seems to be much more of just a quiet dog type player than Luca. Um, and yeah, I, I agree that, you know, there's definitely some similarities, but I, I, the people that are 
saying that the Pistons are getting the next Luka need to tap the brakes a little bit. Let's <laughs> let's let's get him into the league first. Um, besides the top five, and this is kind of the question Michael asked you earlier, but a little bit different question here. In your dream scenario, if you could have outside of like the top five ish chalk, top 10 ish chalk, what would be one player in the draft that you that would be a dream addition for you at the Mavs? Because uh, for me personally, I I think it would be Davion Mitchell. Uh, He I think he's a fun player uh, who would fit perfectly with the Mavs. And again, this is all hypothetical stuff. But who's your favorite prospect that you love the most? And on top of that you like in that mid first round that, you know, would be a potential fit with the Mavs that you think is going to have a really good career. Yeah. I mean, he said if the top 10 goes chalk, right. I'm just, yeah. Just like general mid first round guys that, you know, I mean, obviously the easy answer would be like Cade Cunningham or Evan Mobley, but what's one player in the draft that you would just have loved to have seen from the Mavs that's in like the mid late first round. Alperin Shangun. That dude is going to be really good i mean the analytics are all in on him um he won mvp of the turkish league at 18 it means something he can't play a lick of defense and he'll get played off in the playoffs but it doesn't mean he won't be a really good regular season player at the least like he'll be a top 10 center i think pretty safely if even he hits like his 50 percent outcome yeah i've been seeing a lot of buzz on him and i was that was another one of the the european names that i wasn't entirely sure how to pronounce so I'm, I'm i'm glad i'm glad you were able to get that one out there but before i before i botched his name um now how exactly does he fit in the league like his play style um like what what does he bring to the table to an nba team yeah i mean i think he's going to be a pure center you look at nikola vucevic the same way that he impacted the game mm-hmm. defensive shortcoming sure but really good in the post, almost unstoppable, can, can stretch the floor, hit a mid-range jump shot, and can pass. Like, his passing feel is incredible. It wouldn't shock me if he ever hits five assists per game. And granted, and as you mentioned, you know, his, his defense is probably going to get him in, in some trouble in the NBA. Um, is there – who? I guess it will go superlatives throughout the draft. Um, best defender in the draft – Best two, three, best two or three defenders in the draft, who would you say? It's safely Usman Garuba, uh, far and away. He does at 18 years old. He he played like he brand new 18 years old at the start of the season for Real Madrid. And he's one of the best defenders I've ever scouted. So being that advanced at a very difficult thing to be advanced at at that age says mm-hmm. a lot. A lead in the pick and roll is unexploitable on the defensive end. Um, if you wanted to choose a second one, um, Miles McBride is right up there. Davion Mitchell. West Virginia. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. That's any of those three. <clears throat> when it comes to, you know, going back to the Cade conversation, when it comes to the comparisons to Luca, man, I mean, as someone who is big, big into the draft, I don't like the comparisons to today's players. I, I really don't. Uh, because we we I feel like we try too much to see the similarities, man. There there are no similarities in my mind. Like like everything you touched on, Richard, Cade just doesn't. Luca effortlessly gets into the paint and gets whatever he wants. Just watch games one through seven against the Clippers. Marcus Morris, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. I mean, some of the best defenders in this league. He made them look silly. And Cade, although I'm not questioning how great he can be. Can we just tap the brakes just a little bit? Just stop comparing him to guys. Let's just say, let's just ask what his ceiling is. Let's just ask what is his outlook in the NBA? Does he start year one? Obviously, he's going to go to a sorry team, so he's going to start year one. It's always going to be that. I really don't like the comparisons. I understand it. I get it. It's great TV. Uh, But I really, man, dude, I mean, do do you see any chance? Someone takes number one from Cade Cunningham. I mean, I, I think it's Cade's. I, I'd be pretty shocked. I would be floored if it isn't Cunningham at one. Now, there has been some buzz about the Pistons maybe trading that pick and getting a haul for yeah. it. But Cade will go one. I, I think that's a foregone conclusion. 
whether or not he's to the Pistons, you know, I would still be surprised if the Pistons trade the pick, but I think it's more than likely, you know, if something were to happen with the number one pick, it wouldn't be the pick not being K it would be him not going to the Pistons. Um, and there has been some buzz about, uh, that was actually another great segue into my next question was, uh, the, the Mavericks neighbors, uh, in Texas, uh, down South Houston Rockets or not down South, uh, the Houston Rockets are picking number two. And uh, as a Mavs fan, I was absolutely devastated to see that they didn't get the number one pick, but they're still going to get a very good player at number two, uh, in what's most likely going to be Jalen green, uh, run through your scouting report on Jalen green and, uh, what exactly the Mavericks rivals are getting from, from, uh, from Jalen green. Yeah. I mean, best athlete in the class, super just incredible athlete. One of the best I've ever seen really good shooting touch. His form does need to get a little bit better though. Um, but it shouldn't be a major issue. I just don't really see it being a big strength year one. He's a really good rebounder. That athleticism just plays a lot into it. He's probably the best non big finisher at the rim. Just, relentless can finish through any amount of contact. And that being said, he still needs to add strength. So a lot of potential there, really good cutter and just moves off ball so well. I don't know if a lot of it was designed, but his ability to go off fakes because he's just so athletic and his quickness and everything, he can fake you out and dive to the rim and easy dunk. Um, really good in transition. And he's on defense. He can play the passing lanes. Well, now that being said, his defense isn't that great. His awareness is pretty rough. And overall, he's going to be exploited a lot. Luckily, he's a guard, a shooting guard, maybe wing, you know, he it's not in the worst place to be bad on defense, but it's definitely not good. And my one concern, this is why I had him. I had him six for the longest time until this week. I finally moved him back up to four. But my biggest concern for him is that ball handling, because if the ball handling doesn't come along, he is not going to be able to use that elite athleticism that takes a lot of his upside away. And with his, you know, with his upside, uh, you know, there's a ceiling for him. What would you say his ceiling is? What's a, what's a, your best NBA comparison for him? Oh God. The one I used, I violated my golden rule, which is never compare players to like hall of famers. Uh, (laughs) But I did it anyways. I compared him to an all-star this year, which is Zach Levine. And then uh, I'm not even going to say the third name, but there's a lot of shades of this former um, legend who passed too soon. And I, I, I just, I can't say it, but I wrote it. And then Clyde Drexler. Yeah, he, he does seem like Zach Levine's actually seems like a, that would be his type of ceiling. Cause you know, just to jump out of the gym and yeah, you're right. That's arguably his best asset. Uh, I mean, obviously he's, there's other great parts of his game, but I mean, his best asset is, uh, his athleticism and you know, that, that, you know, he he needs to utilize like you said that ball handling he needs to be able to grow his game and otherwise it'll just be wasted athleticism because the way Levine's developed he's turned into he's turned himself into a very polished offensive player and his you know his defense I mean it does sound kind of kind of like similar players um and this is another comparison guy that I've read about with um people going a little overboard with him. Uh, I don't know if you, did you happen to see the report about Evan Mobley of the NBA scout that said he's Chris Bosch on offense and Anthony Davis on defense. Uh, what were your oh, thoughts Jesus. on Evan Mobley? I mean, he's personally he, my favorite player in the class. Yeah. I mean, it's actually not that preposterous of a take um, because he is, you know, every, he's not a lefty. So nobody compared him to Chris Bosch. But he actually is Chris Bosch. And it's not such a shame. I'm really mad the last few years we've wasted all these Chris Bosch comparisons. Last year was James Wiseman. I'm forgetting who the other guys were. But <laughs> if you're a lefty that can shoot, that's a big man. You're suddenly Chris Bosch. But, but Evan Mobley really is like the Chris Bosch of this generation. He has really underrated playmaking ability. I've seen him do these between the legs jumpers. He can run. I've seen him run pick and roll. He can pass out a pick and roll. And he overall, I think he's just a wing in a big's body or forward in a big's body and on defense he is a monster the one thing i would say that really concerns me about him on defense that doesn't get talked about a lot is if you watch where he blocks a lot of his shots while he can block jumpers too but a lot of them came from the fact that he was camped out in the paint because in college there's no defensive three in the key that won't work in the nba so i've worried about his awareness at times even camping out he's had some misses 
that's going to be what really makes or breaks his defensive development. I want to pick your brain here a little bit, Richard. This will be a little bit of, of the last thing for me, but you know, a lot of noise has come out this off season about, you know, the blunder that was the Mavericks draft last year with all the confusion and, you know, what to do at 18. Someone wanted to do this. The staff wanted to do this. And you lost out. Well, I'm not going to say you lost out. I don't want to disrespect Josh Green that way. Um, everyone thought you were going to get Sadiq Bay. I was sitting at the TV. I'm just like, dude, he's right there. Grab him. He was one of my favorite guys, 3 and D. And you miss out. Um, you didn't get him. So now Jason Kidd wants to develop him. We don't know where that development is going to go. But if you are Nico Harrison, Richard, you know, getting all the details, just I don't even want to worry about the details. I don't want to worry about that too much. If you wanted to trade back into that area where they were last year, let's say 17 through 21, and you wanted to say, I want to get a wing that can back up Dorian Finney-Smith. I like where his game is today, and I feel comfortable with him be, being brought from the bench. Who would you say would fit that mold? And you're saying for this year, right? For this year, for this year. To make up for last year. Um, man, honestly, like you're saying for that mold, right? Just to yes. make sure. I... Yes. In, in the first round, there's nobody that fits that except Moses Moody, which is completely unrealistic. Mm -hmm. But if you want a realistic target, Heron Henry is really that guy. I think his jump shot has developed a lot at Michigan State as a junior. That used to be pretty ugly as a sophomore. Now it's kind of fluid and he's that. a monster on defense. He can handle the ball too, which is a plus. Um, and like I said, he can shoot a little bit too. The other guy, this guy's a more of a Dory and has even the same story of his shooting, just going from nothing to something is Herb Jones. The SEC player of the yes. year, absolute vacuum cleaner Herb. on defense. He can play three through Herbie. five, honestly, two through five on defense. And frankly, oh, let's throw it out. He can probably guard some point guards. Um, he, he has a seven foot plus wingspan. He improved his three-point percentage from 7% to 35%. Incredible work ethic. Uh, <laughs> obviously, not much sample size, but 7% to 35 is still a jump. And he really just worked on his jump shot, and he can pass as well. He's like a worse Aaron Henry, I think. That yeah. might as well be the Grand Canyon, man. Yeah. yeah. And if, you want, if you want one more, this guy's from Florida. Scotty Lewis would be an interesting one. Scotty Lewis. Yeah, he's a monster on defense. He's good. He's very – he, in my opinion, when it comes to the defense, man, it's it's all about athleticism when you're talking about defense, and it's there. I like the way he uses his hips, the physicality he plays defense with, man. He's actually one of my favorite defenders in this draft. Yeah, I mean, absolute – I mean, freak athlete, crazy length. He has nothing else on – he has nothing on offense. And he went to Florida, which kind of sounds like Dorian Finney-Smith. Yeah. The jump shot, though, needs to come along. So back to Herb Jones really quick. Uh, I He's very interesting to me just from, like you said, he's unbelievable on defense. Uh, he's, I mean, I, I don't know when the last time this happened in a, in a major college basketball conference, but if, I'm, if my memory serves me correctly, he won the SEC player of the year and SEC defensive player of the year. Um, yep. I mean, that that's just about unheard of winning a conference's player of the year and defensive player of the year. Uh, where do you have Herb Jones in that? Do you have him in that late first round area? Where, where do you have Herb Jones slotted? No, I think it's very risky to take him first round. I don't think you consider him until all the first round grades are off the board. Um, so for me, I have 35 first round grades. So I wouldn't consider him until the 36th pick. So, and, and that would potentially be in the range of second round picks that the Mavs could buy um, because you know, the, the most notable second rounder that I can think of uh, the, that actually like panned out reasonably well in recent memory was Jordan Bell with the Warriors. That's the first one that comes to mind for me. And where did wh that was that was towards the front of the second round? Yes. Yeah, I think it was like the 37th. Mm -hmm. OK, and, and with these negotiations with these teams coming in to buy the picks, what would motivate? I've always wondered this. What motivates a team to just take the money uh, versus just getting a prospect? I mean, how does I've, I've always wondered this and I, I've never had the opportunity to talk to an, an NBA draft expert like like yourself. How does a deal like that come together? Because you said earlier it would come out of theoretically Cuban's wallet. What does the other team get out of it? Just money? I mean, what motivates a team to do a trade like that? 
Yeah. So, I mean, think if you're like Brooklyn who has to pay the tax and say like, I, I think I saw something, what was it? Bruce Brown, if he gets extended, it's like every dollar, every $1 million in his contract is like an extra 5 million for the owner to pay in a tax. So hmm. it could cut into something like that. It allows you to, it, it's just tax relief really for big teams. That's, that's the biggest thing. Or like if they need to pay whatever, anything, cause the owner pays everything. Right. So anything that they're paying for, it's just that that's literally the motivation. So there, it's not salary cap related. It's luxury tax related. Right. For the most part, it's like if, if the owner has to pay money um, for anything, it, it's a nice little thing. Like Dan Gilbert, I think is notorious for selling off his second round picks because he wants the money. I'm pretty sure it's him that sells off a lot of his picks. Now what with, and now, so you mentioned Brooklyn as a possibility because they're in theoretically in cap hell because of how their roster is built right now. Um, where do you see uh, an, any other oper- other teams that might be trying to uh, sell a pick and get, get some money back that the Mavs could target if they did see a prospect that they really liked? Yeah. I mean, it's all the teams with like two second round picks, at least like Indiana has the 54th and 60th pick and they're a good team. They probably don't benefit much keeping both like, maybe like why would they just stash players and they can just take money and they still have to pay this about for those players every single year. It's just a tiny amount. Detroit could be under their, under their two. They have three second round picks. Brooklyn has three second round picks. There's a 0% chance that those are being kept. New Orleans has a ton of picks. So any one of those is who I would look at. Now. Okay. And, and that, sounds like there's plenty of opportunity for that and like you said with Brooklyn now which picks does Brooklyn have are they all in the back of the second round so they have the 44th pick uh the very the third to last pick in the in the first round the 49th pick and then the 59th pick okay and so that that would that could be one where the Mavs would potentially buy in um overall draft question here uh getting into a little bit not necessarily not this year's draft just draft history um I want to take you back to the 2018 NBA draft. Uh, Mavs are picking third. Uh, leading up to that draft, so two-part question about that draft. Uh, leading up to that draft, was Luca your guy for the Mavs, number one? And two, as far as Brunson is concerned, was there was, was Brunson a guy that you had the Mavs uh, that you really wanted for the Mavs in the early second round that year. So, Just a little bit of Mavs draft history question for you. Yeah. So I, I should have, I wish the answer for the first one was yes. I wanted Luca more than anyone else. I wanted Aiden all the way. I had him as my number one. I thought the freak nature of a seven foot guy with seven, six and a half wingspan who could, uh, he shot a lot at Arizona. I thought that would be more immediate translatable. Um, but I thought his defense was great. One of the smoothest lateral movers I've ever seen in my life on defense at that big. Um, I was all in on the guy. So unfortunately, Luca was not my top one. I was very happy with Luca, of course, but I really wanted Aiden. Now Brunson, I can actually say, yes, I had him 15th on my board. I was ecstatic when I saw him there. And then I heard the Mavs were picking him. I was fist pumping. I was so happy. <laughs> yeah. Brunson's been a home run for them to say the least, as far as, you know, you know, say what you want about him as an NBA player. Anytime you get that kind of value from a guy at what, where he was, I think 33rd, 34th, uh, you know, anytime you get that kind of value, that's, that's a home run. Um, and now back to Luca, um, coming out of the draft now, did you have him third overall, at least to the Mavs? Where did you have Luca on your board? Oh, that's a tough question. I, right. I had him, it was really one, a one B one C and Luca, I made him the one C because I had more exposure to the college guys. Yep. Um, obviously in hindsight, I've learned my mistakes from my mistakes <laughs> on that. Um, I really wish I could just revise this board and go back in time and just slap myself in the face. Uh, but I had Bagley in front of them, but it was all in the same tier. They were in one tier for whatever that's worth. Yeah. And, hey, I, man. and you know, I don't blame you either because I mean, I feel like most people had eight and Bagley Doncic that year. Um, yeah, go ahead, Michael. Hey, Richard, don't don't feel bad, man. There was a guy out there. I'm not naming names that had him in the second round and said, yeah, he down. yeah. Hey, so Every, and he said Alonzo Trier was better. Yeah, Alonzo Trier was better. And the comparison ones comparison was what Hilu Turkaloo or something like that. Like, yep. hey, I, Hayden Turkaloo was should have been an all star at one point. Like to say that he was he trying was to talented. him. 
And there was one year in Orlando where he had like 25 and five and he should have been an all-star and he tried using it as an insult. And yeah, no, that was one of the worst. T- that was one of the absolute worst draft boards I've ever seen in my life. Like Kevin Knox was really high. It was just absurd. See, my, my thing about Aiton, you said that you wanted him. The talent was there, obviously. It was there. I, I don't blame anyone. Obviously, I didn't even – I think Luca was my number four. I, I wanted a big so bad for Dallas. Mm. My guy was Mo Bamba, okay? Oh, very. Bamba, I would say. Yeah, Mo Bamba, very raw. I thought the defense would translate. Offensive game, you know, maybe it was – maybe it's the staff in Orlando. They haven't been able to develop them. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but when it came to Aiton – I, I ask this question a lot when, when and, and you probably do as well. I ask this question a, wa- a lot when I'm evaluating a prospect. And at the big position in the NF- NFL, in the NBA, is he tough enough to be great at that position? Because we just saw in the NBA finals what toughness is all about in Giannis. We, we literally just learned all about that. And honestly, man, Aiton could not keep up with him. He could not keep up with him step for step strength or anything. It's like he was just playing too passive and yes, he is still a good player, but I just feel like not digging down deep or finding that dog is what holds him back from truly reaching his potential, which I think could be very, very, very high in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, he's his own worst enemy. Like, sure, I wish the shooting was more present. That's probably his best skill he needs to add. But, like, he's a good defender when engaged. But the problem is, is, like, the engagement level. And he's usually – it's not like his motor is a bad thing. It's just really, like you said, turning it from high to, like, extreme needs to be more frequent. Yeah, I I remember that year in the draft going in. It was funny. Uh, Mav's Twitter was just all over the place with who they wanted. Um, they were just all over. And, and I, now that I'm coming to think of it more, people also forget that the Mavs had to, you know, like I, I'm sitting here thinking about that draft thing. The Mavs had to pick at three. They had to go get Luca uh, in the draft and obviously trade the pick for Trey Young. And by the way, um, while we're on the note with this, with this, with that draft, uh, the 2018 draft is turning out to be one of the best drafts in, in recent memory. Uh, that, that between Luca, Trey and Aiton and just in the top five, that's unbelievable. And then Jaron Jackson, obviously, um, Michael Porter Jr. And that, that's where I was going with this was I remember around that time, Mavs Twitter was bouncing around from prospect to prospect. There was a point where I was on the Michael Porter Jr. train where I wanted Michael Porter at, at five. Yep. How high did you have Michael Porter that year? Because I remember that was a big deal that he fell all the way to the Nuggets. Yeah, I mean, I actually was bracing for him, too. I, I was really big on him. I specifically, though, had him at eight, which hurts now because I bumped Mikhail Bridges. I had him fifth. Um, I should have – I don't know why I uh, – I, I don't know why I hesitated to put, first of all, Trey Young. So it was, like, I put him way low. I put him seven. But I don't know why I hesitated um, moving down Bamba because I had doubts. I had actually – this is one of my favorite stories – so um, I went to TCU. I go to TCU games usually when there's not a pandemic. Um, and I, <laughs> I sit on, you know, I, I have the credentials. So I sit with everybody there. There's like the, there's NBA scouts, there's personnel, there's media, whatever. And I was right in front of the Cavs personnel the whole time. It was a Texas game. The whole time they were just bashing bump. And I'm like, this might mean something. And it wasn't a good game for him at all. Um, and I didn't take it. I, I took it with a grain of salt. And in hindsight, I should have just, lowered him because he's not a good NBA player at all yeah but he to was, answer your question though Michael Porter at eight I loved him yeah it, and it, it's his defense you know still needs to come along some but I mean his offensive game has absolutely translated into the NBA um back to now a little more draft history back to last year's draft um I I recall you were now correct me if I'm wrong you were happy, not thrilled, but happy with the Josh Green pick. Am I, am I wrong in that before I go on here? Yeah, I had one A, one B being Bain and him. Uh, obviously, like I said, I've seen Bain since because of that Texas thing. Like I've seen him since his sophomore year. So I've seen a lot of him. Um, I just I kind of wanted Green because I thought his upside with Luca might be better, but the floor favored Bain. So real, so real quick, Richard, I am like, I'm not sure if you saw, like I am a gigantic TCU fan. Um, I've seen Desmond since he was a freshman. And when, yep. 
when in that Big 12 championship uh, tournament game when they played Kansas, he got a three-point shot in the corner. He was fouled by uh, Mikhailu or something like that from Kansas. Yes, yeah, Steve Mikhailu. Steve Mikhailu. When he hit those three big free throws, yep. that right there, I'm just like, this dude's got something in him. Like yep. to be in, it was in Kansas. The <laughs> crowd was, I was in the library at my college and I could not stay quiet, man. I, I couldn't. I was watching that game right there. When he hit those shots, I'm like, man, this dude is special. And then the sophomore year came with Brodzianski and Alex Robinson, then the junior year. And then, you know, I can't forget Kenridge Williams. I can't forget him at oh, all. Kenny, uh, yeah. The shaggy haircut. Um, and then the senior year, man, he took off. I'm just like, I want Desmond Bain so bad, and we didn't get him. But I'm so happy he 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 had a good season. That's so how I, I wanted to say that. So 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 you had so you had a uh, Bain and Josh Green one A one B there. Were yeah. you high on Sadiq Bay? Did you like Sadiq Bay? Because because me personally, I I was hoping for Sadiq Bay, but was also okay with Josh Green. Yeah, I mean I. Sadiq was clearly my third. I was wrong um, already. I'll fully admit that. But I thought the Mavs would take him. I In my Mavs personal big board, I thought he would have been the second option behind Green. And I never expected him to be there. I heard I had heard a team had ranked him in the top 10 that had him top 10 on their board. Mm-hmm. So I was very surprised to hear that he didn't go top 10 or in the lottery even. But he was Wesley Matthews reincarnated. I thought the Mavs would for sure fall in love with it. Like they sure as hell gave him a big contract after an Achilles tear. They get him young and healthy. Why not? Right. Yeah. And, and I remember like leading up to that draft, I, I do think it was, I do think it was roughly, you know, like, like Sadiq Bay was like, like you said, talked about fairly highly in that draft. Um, and how much stock did you put into this, the notion of the Haralabob draft room chaos where uh, he wanted Josh green. And now did did they say the report didn't come out who the Mavs wanted? Are you of the mind that you think that that noise was, was, you know, BS and it was Haralabob that just took Josh green and the Mavs wanted Sadiq Bay. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think it was Harrell Bob's power struggle. I, I genuinely don't know what happened there. That is still one of the weirdest things I've ever seen as a Mavs fan. And I would love to one day see like a mini documentary about just the chaos of that night. Because again, I was high on green. I don't have qualms with it. I have qualms with how they went about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I guess what, one last topic to touch on before we wrap this up and uh, let you get on with your night. Because after all, it is it is Christmas Eve for you uh with your after these months and months of uh oh, preparation the for the draft there's there's nothing oh there's nothing i love like, that feeling there's nothing like christmas eve on a draft um <laughs> josh green uh so you said you liked him um how would you say his how would you say his development has come i guess we didn't see a lot of it this year because rick didn't play him a lot but in the minutes we got of josh green this year um how much did you think that his pros and cons, both both pros and cons, showed up on the NBA court throughout last season? Because I feel that Josh Green, you know, he's his his passing is almost as advertised. He appears to be a pretty good passer, and his defense is just—he's a big energy guy. He was—I expect a little bit more of a abil- little bit more ability offensively. Um, how would you say, how would you grade his first year in the NBA? Again, I know it's hard to because he hardly played, but you know, how, how do you think he developed in year one? Yeah, I would say C plus B minus something like that. I mean, when we saw him, his defense was mostly good. Kawhi gave him hell, but like, okay, it's Kawhi. A lot of Mavs fans were mad. I remember the game where he just kind of bullied him in the mid range, but like what player has it never happened to? I don't know. Like that, I don't read into things like that, especially as a rookie. As right. his body continues to get stronger, that'll change. His passing totally translated from college. Like I, I called him yeah. a generational midair passer last year in the draft <laughs> cycle. And, oh man! And, and he is like he can master his midair passing. Yeah, passes. And his defense is good. His passing is good. He needs to just get more confident in his off-ball abilities and just cutting. And one of my favorite things, I actually tweeted this a week or two ago, but his ability to come off of screens and get to the basket is the far and away biggest area of development. I didn't like that his jump shot didn't 
translate whatsoever his rookie mm-hmm. year. But the bigger issue was how when he had a handoff, he didn't really attack. And I'd love to see Jason Kidd draw up handoffs for him out of like Porzingis or whoever it is, their screens and let him just go to work and go be that Tasmanian devil towards the rim. Would you be shocked if he's backing up Dorian Finney-Smith next year? No, not at all. And that should be the expectation. He should be expected to be the backup small forward. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because when he had that shot, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily – it didn't translate. I would just say he just got excited. He just – because some of these shots, man, they were way off. They they were they were way off. And, I mean, I, I remember the Miami Heat game where the defensive energy, it was a struggle, you know, in the middle of the game. And when he comes off the bench, he's harassing Goran Dragic, Jimmy Butler. He's – diving for loose balls like it's the nba finals i mean the guy came to play i love his energy and honestly man i do want to see him develop i don't want to see wasted picks i don't want to see guys you know i'm pretty sure he's heard the noise about what's gone on you know the last month and all the stories but if he's that guy he he doesn't care he's gonna come in he's gonna work ask all the questions spend extra time with sweeney and kid and honestly man i'm excited to see him i'm also excited see where Tyrell Terry goes man he is in terms of shot making it's great but I feel like his muscle maturity is still kind of in middle school maybe I don't I don't know he was in the gym with Crocs on yeah so. <laughs> yeah which is I, I will not I do not understand that trend but <laughs> yeah you will, I yeah I don't get that one either um well I, I guess to wrap things up uh thank you again for uh coming on Richard uh you know, make sure to catch his stuff. And if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already follow him. He's one of the best follows on Mavs Twitter in terms of not even just Mavs stuff, but I mean, his main thing is the draft, but even Mavs stuff in general, uh, he's a great follow, does great draft content and uh, check out all of his stuff. If you want to get prepared for tomorrow, uh, Mavs draft is the one stop shop for it. Um, so with all that said, uh, thank you again for coming on, Richard. This was a blast uh, talking this year's draft, the Luca draft. I mean, we, we, we touched on a lot of stuff. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. <laughs> Thanks Richard. So, so again, you can catch Richard on Twitter uh, at Mavs draft. You can catch me on Twitter at Nate underscore Sanch 77. And you can catch Michael on Twitter at underdog sports four. Uh, enjoy the draft everybody. And we will talk to you next week, barring any Mavs free agency bombs and me and Michael have to drop everything and do an emergency pod. Thank you again, Richard. Hey, thank you guys.